It's Wednesday, July 30th at Legends, his 78th birthday party. Not often I get to talk to a legend. So honored to be joined by Buddy Guy. Buddy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm delighted. You know, man, you know, because blues is like being ignored a lot except you guys, man. But, uh, you know, I, I was told by the late great Muddy Wolf Walter Sonny Boy I could go on and uh, run out all your time to tell you the people that I learned so much about, and we used to talk about whoever go for it, just, just keep on playing the blues, man, because we want to keep it alive. How, and, and how do we do? How do we keep the blues alive? Because I, I there's there's some young kids coming up who do play the blues, but how do we get it so that when guys like you and BB King aren't around, that it's because you guys are keeping the blues alive, and then you know you have guys like Eric Clapton and. Pretty much everyone who's on this Jimi Hendrix experience tour that you guys are doing are the guys who keep the blues alive. But how do we get it to this young generation who just has their face in an iPad all day? Well, that's what I'm I'm fighting for. You know, actually, with uh, some of those kids, I don't know if you know the young kid I'm promoting a lot called Quinn Sullivan. I I do. do you, wasn't he like seven years old and you brought him on stage? Is is it that kid? And he made me feel like he was 77, because I couldn't believe a seven-year-old was playing the blues the way he plays. He's 15 <laughs> now, and we got him out there doing some shows. We just brought him out of Europe, and uh, hopefully he can uh, work his way uh, through, because, if they, you know, back in the days when we had just AM radio stations, you could turn it on in the morning, you hear good gospel, you hear good jazz, you hear good blues. I mean, they played all kind of music, so I, I heard it, you know. But children now don't hear that much anymore. They used to have a lot of music television shows, you know, and they don't play that much anymore, even though when they was playing it, they didn't play the Muddy Waters and the Howlin' Wolves and people like that. And I don't know what we did to make these this music be so unheard of. And the- you find kids that just like a good meal sooner or later, if you find a restaurant unheard of, it's got the best meal that you ever had, you'll go back to it. And I kind of looked at it like that, but it's it's kind of scary now, you know, because, but some of these kids, not many, uh, since I've been promoting little Quinn Sullivan, i got a, quite a few parents that brought their children to me and said, buddy, you know, whatever you can do, do it. And whatever you, uh, a little young lady or a young man, if you come in my show, man, and can, uh, especially this time of year when we play in outdoor uh, venues while, while there's no age limit. Because, you know, the blues has been like, you know, in blues clubs, and you can't get in there until you're 21 to, uh, to hear and experience, and they say, well, this is something I never heard of. I, I might want to do it. But we, it was open to me when I was in my teens, because like I said, those AM stations was playing it. And you could hear it once in a while. You could hear the great spiritual stuff. You could hear the great jazz. And, and then it came up with all these different names or... Uh, soul music and uh, hip-hop and all that. And let me say this. Once I thought the lyrics to B.B. King and all of us were singing was a little too strong, a little too close to, like they say, uh, uh, Johnny Watson didn't write it. Some other blues cat wrote the record about he's a dirty mother for you. And they wouldn't play it. They would be because they say that was too close. And then hip hop came out, and they didn't bite their tongue on it. They told you just like it is. They start selling millions and millions of records. So I'm hopefully some of these little kids, Johnny Lang, have done a great job. Kenny Wayne Shepherd, all those kids like that. And uh, 
Now we got little Quinn Sullivan and, and a few more is playing, but we need a little more. We need the music to be heard a little more than what it is and available for these young people. Well, that's the problem is that the only way a young kid is going to find out about the blues is if his parents, you know, teach him the blues or, or put him around blues music. And, and it, like you said, it's really hard for a, like a kid could just be in, in the car with their mom and they could discover hip hop. They could discover rap. But when it comes to the blues, they, you have to actually bring the blues to your kids. So like you said, there has to be a way for kids to just discover it on their own. Well, let me say this. You know, I, I, I had a house full of kids. They're all grown now. And you know what? My kids didn't know who I was until they turned 21 and walked in the club. Now my son is so deep into playing blues, I can't get rid of him. I got two of them. <laughs> when they were 14 and 15, they would look at me because I don't, I don't come home and say, look, your daddy is, is doing well. Here's what I do out there. I mean, you, you just can't do that. You can tell them about it. Because my son, they were so into blues now, they used to have a little outdoor record player on a holiday, 4th of July, whatever it is, and playing out in the yard. And every time they would put my record on, he would go take it off. And he'd punch, <laughs> punch in uh, uh, the press of Michael Jackson in his heydays. And all of a sudden, they got 21 and come in and saw me do a show. He said, Dad, I know you could do that. Tell me about this <laughs> this Hendrix tour that you're doing. It's, it's the... Um... You, it's you, it's Johnny Lang, Eric Johnson, Zach Wilde, Kenny Wayne Shepard, Rich Robinson from the Black Crows. You guys are doing a tour where you play a bunch of Jimi Hendrix music. Most of all, that's what we do. You know, we come out and uh, everybody plays uh, Hendrix, uh, 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 something affiliated with Jimi Hendrix. And it's been great. We did it earlier this year, man, and then while we went, it was like completely sold out. And these kids are doing a, a tremendous job with it. And I, th- I guess they got me holding on because I did get to say jam a lot with him, you know, and he had made some comments before he passed that he had listened to me, which was surprising to me because he was so creative. You know, what he was doing was something even America was turning their nose about until he went to England and the British kind of helped Muddy Waters, me, B.B. King, Ike, and Tina Turner, because they kept playing it, and they could come back to America and say, uh, America was saying, like, oh, wait a minute, the cream, these rolling stones, all that, and they came in. There was a television show called Shindy, and they was trying to get the stones to do it, and Mick said, I'll do it if you let me bring uh, Muddy Waters. And they said, who in the hell is that? And he said, <laughs> you mean to tell me you don't know who Muddy Waters is? We named ourselves after one of his famous records, Rolling Stones. It kind of shows too how much of a how much you love music. That you're having your 78th birthday, July 30th at Buddy Guy's Legends. Uh, you could you could actually get tickets for that. Go to BuddyGuy.com, and you're doing Jimi Hendrix's music. That it, it, it's great that you're still a, such a fan of music because you have such a great catalog yourself. And the fact that you would go on tour and play Jimi Hendrix music, it just shows how big of a fan you still are of music. Well, to be honest with you, I don't only play Jimi Hendrix music. If he was alive, I knew him very well. And uh, we always playing that stuff from not Jimi Hendrix. Well, uh, we got it from those guys who I mentioned to you. We got it from uh, Robert Johnson. We got it from T-Bone Walker. We got it from Muddy Waters. We got it from B.B. King. And Jimmy would tell you that if he was living, he, uh, Jimmy did a... A thing Earl King did out of New Orleans. I don't know if you remember him, but 
put, he would come and tell you. He did some uh, some of Muddy Waters stuff. Even he had said this is Jimi Hendrix style, but this is Muddy Waters record. What were those times like when it was you, Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, BB King, all just you, you guys are all around the same age. Uh, Eric Clapton's a few years younger, but what was it like when you guys were growing up, getting into the blues scene? It was like, you know, I was born on a farm in Louisiana, and we didn't know nothing about but one holiday of the year. Matter of fact, two. We know Easter Sunday and Christmas. In other words, it was in the fields, chopping cotton, picking cotton, and so on. And it was like when Christmas came, we had a toy. And if your parent was able to get you a bike, he was the happiest guy in the world. And if my parent got me a little pony. So <laughs> every a time pony? I got with those guys, it was like, this is Christmas to me, man. I'm on top of the world now, man. You know, I'm playing with the greatest guitar players that you ever heard. And we had so much fun, and I experienced so much by playing with them. You know, it was like you, you, you would, Hendrix would come into New York and start plugging up before I knew who he was. I remember one day in 1967, I had never played New York, and I, I was into a crazy solo, and somebody started whispering to me, that's Jimmy Hendrix, and I was in the middle of my solo, so I said, so what? Who is he? And he came up and said, uh, I want to play, and, and that's the, one of the biggest moments of my life. You know, Paul McCartney told a story that he had to ride a train like hours away to learn a B7 chord. And, you know, do you have any stories like that? Because I today things are so – like I remember when I was growing up, I used to have – to buy CDs. I would have to go to different record stores all around the city. I'd go downtown Chicago. I'd go in the suburbs trying to find certain CDs. And now you just go online, download everything. Do you have any stories of learning how to play guitar? Because now you could just go online and you could learn every single chord. You could learn everything. Paul McCartney had the story where he took like a four-hour train ride to learn a B7 chord. Do you remember having to like go around the country to learn different guitar techniques? Because it wasn't the way it is now where you could just learn everything online. Well, first of all, let me ask you like this. Well, I was born and raised that you couldn't go nowhere. My parents finally got old battery radio, and the only time you could hear something was on a clear day without a spot of cloud in the sky because if it was raining or anything, you didn't hear nothing but static. And I had, to, that's all I had. And I would, I would, uh, uh, I finally got old two-string guitar and I was trying to, I had to figure that out myself. I didn't, what you saying, Paul, no, no, I didn't take music. I don't read music. I don't know what the hell is a B7 called right now. I just, <laughs> <laughs> let, let, me, let me play what I heard when I first, fell in love with it and I figured it out and then I got chance to meet these great guys before they passed away. They didn't show me nothing. I would go in and hope someone didn't know who I was so I could sit there and watch when I finally got to Chicago and watch Muddy Wolf Walton. I would see T-Bone and I used to see B.B. and Big Joe Tunnel and all those guys would come to Louisiana once or twice a year and I was the first 14 or 15, 17-year-old guy to stand at that stage and see, try to figure out what they were doing. We didn't have the technology you're talking about now so I could go somewhere and find out what, what type of car this was. And matter of fact, all those old blue cats who, man, who invented this stuff, they didn't know nothing about what we're talking about. No way, man. It's just, some of them played an open guitar, and you'd have to say, man, well, how did you play that? It's not tuned. And it's just tuning your way. Even Charlie Hooker played like that. Elmo James, all those guys that had a way they played. And matter of fact, to be in the late 50s, they kept saying they couldn't 
in the mid-50s, they say they couldn't write what we were playing, but somebody figured out how to do it. Now you can write a music on uh, body sheet music. So you don't know how to play any kind of, I mean, you don't, you know, how, obviously you know how to play chords, but you, you don't know the names of the chords you're playing? No, no, I, I just, I just play what make you feel good, man, you know, and uh, <laughs> I, 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 if I heard T-Bone may make a card, if I found out, I had to figure it out myself. And even if it's, no, it's not like him, I always explain to an interview like I'm doing you, it's like, if you dropped a dime in the grass, and go looking for it. Instead of your dime, you found a quarter. Now that's that's the way I describe what happened to me and a lot of more guitar players that I learned. They felt the same way. We were looking for a note that Alana Johnson played a T-bone, and you're trying to find it. You're trying to find it, not by book. And all of a sudden, on the way of looking for it, you hit notes that you didn't know. You didn't know yourself. And they say, and somebody would say, "Man, what did you do? That sound pretty good." I'm like, I don't know. I got to go back. <laughs> it is funny. Like, I, I, I've been playing guitar. I'm, I'm 32 now. I've been playing since I was 12 years old. I have a guitar tuner on my iPhone. I have, like, I mean, it's just crazy now. The technology out there for kids, it's easier than ever to play guitar. I mean, they're, they're, everything's at your finger. You don't even need lessons anymore or anything. I mean, could you imagine, buddy, having this kind of technology when you were growing up? Actually, if you had this technology, you probably would have been a worse guitar player. Cause the- I probably would have, because actually what they call it now, you play from your heart. You play for what you feel. When I go on the stage right now, sometimes I hit a note, I'd ask myself, what the hell was that? And people be looking, <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, but uh, like I say, you know John Lee Hooker, my late friend John Lee Hooker and late friend Junior Wells, John Lee called me in to play a record with him. I made one record with him. It was, uh, I think it was entitled Detroit is Born and Doing the Right. And Junior Wells said, I can't play with him, buddy, because I, I don't know when he's going to change. I say I can play with him because I can look at his hand and tell he didn't change. It's Buddy Guy, his I mean, 70, 78th birthday party, Wednesday, July 30th at Legends. Um he also has a show at Ravinia on Tuesday, August 19th, and then he's back on the Experience Hendrix store late September through early October. And there's tons of shows at Buddy Guy's Legend. Sheila E. from Prince's Band is going to be there. Uh, that's on August 5th. And there's always live music going on at Legends. Go to BuddyGuy.com. Buddy, how did you get the Buddy Guy signature sound? Because when I hear a Buddy Guy riff, I know it's you. And you said, you know, it, it, you pretty much just figured everything out yourself. But how did you develop your own style? You know, I, I was, I was like I said, I didn't have a book. I didn't have a teacher. The first electric guitar I ever seen was by a great blues player named Lightning Slim. was living in Baton Rouge. And I had come into Baton Rouge trying to go to high school. And my mother taking a stroke, that was the end of it. But, uh, you know, I was talking to B.B. King. He, he was doing a, one of my albums with me. Uh, uh, it was a spiritual song we did, Thank the Lord. And I say, man, every time I hear your guitar, uh, you can blindfold me. I say, I know that's your lick. He said, you wouldn't believe it, but I tell you, every time I hear your lick, there's something different than your lick. I said, I didn't know that, you know, because I copied those guys. B.B. Uh, and, and Little Aiden Buddy, and then would tell you, Buddy, they say he copied some house a lot. Fred McDowell, and I got I got chance to play with both of those guys before they passed away. And we all got something from somebody, but it's back to the same question I was trying to answer. You know, it's like looking for 
uh, a, a quarter and you find a dollar. You know, you forgot yeah. you lost a quarter because you found something bigger. You know, and I didn't know it. You don't know that until somebody tell you. Because I, when I first came to Chicago, everybody was looking at me at the chess records saying, uh, you sound too much like Tom, Dick, and Harry. And I'm like saying, okay, whatever I sound like, uh, uh, that's all I know. I'm going to play what I know. And then all of a sudden, the British, the Jimmy, and all of them say, man, I, I was talking to uh, 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 Jimmy Page when we received the Kennedy Awards. He said, man, we were, me, Eric, Jeff Beck was sitting down in London, man, saying all we could hear was this record, uh, which I played behind Muddy at Coke Cabana Club. It's a live album. I was back in a Muddy and Wolf and Sonny Boy. And they said, man, we heard some leaks coming out of there. I said, you did? I didn't hear it. <laughs> so I, I was just trying to make Muddy and them happy, but I was doing the buddy guy and didn't know it. And isn't it true that, Eric, I mean, you're talking about, you know, you've taken from some of the guys before you, but, like, even, like, the song Strange Brew, isn't it true that you heard that and you're like, man, this is great? And then Eric Clapton said, well, it's actually uh, something that you and Junior Wells did. I took your lick. And and you didn't even realize that that was your, your riff. No, I, I told him. I You know, I was, like, running a few licks in my personal experience in a little blues club, and we became good friends. I said, Eric. The man that strange drew this make hair stand up on my head. He didn't cry. He didn't smile. He just <laughs> said, "Good, it's your lick." <laughs> you just brought up the uh, Kennedy Center honors. How how awesome was that? That you got our President Barack Obama to swing to sing "Sweet Home Chicago." Uh, now that the, that that was before the, the Kennedy Kennedy honors. We was in the White House when we did that. What was that for? That that what was that? That was a. Um, I I remember watching that because it was you, BB King, and uh, and you yeah. brought President Obama up, and he started. He's like, he's like, uh, come on, uh, baby, uh-huh. don't you want to go? What happened was before we went to the stage, somebody from the White House said, you know, he's from Chicago, and if y'all play Sweet Home Chicago, he might sing a lick. So after we have just about finished the show. He come up and, you know, made a, a few comments about the show and went to walk off the stage. And I said, Mr. President, uh, 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 you can sing a lick in, in about Sweet Home Chicago. And I felt like, I don't know if you remember this, this famous artist, Rita Kitt, she made some kind of comment. I think it was about President Reagan, one of the presidents, and she got squashed. And I said, oh, my God, if I asked him to do that and he refused. Yeah. Somebody that's going to think I'm the worst blues player in the world. I the president <laughs> of the United States to play blues. And he turned around and got the microphone and, and sung the voice. Yeah, that, and that, B.B. King looked at me and said, boy, you did it. <laughs> that was awesome. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, did you ever think in your lifetime that you would be around to see uh, an African-American president? I mean, how, how great, just that alone. And then you're on stage playing the blues with him singing like could, could you imagine back in you know 19 whatever 1950 that you'd be doing that in like 2013 or whatever it was no you don't know those dreams you don't even think of about nothing like that but by the way i went in the oval office with the president bush and i got a dvd and you can talk to anna we can get it to you and and when I re- the, the night before I received the Kennedy's award, you should have heard this speech with President Bill, Bill Clinton. And I'm like, how did you know this much about me? He made a speech that made me cry. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so President Bush fact, was, a, was a big fan. The, the second Bush or the first one? 
The pre- what the president say? No, which was it? The younger Bush or the older Bush? Which which President Bush? It's the younger one. Wow. Yeah, I, I got a, I, some kind of melt. I forget what it's called. He gave it to me in the Oval Office, and he hung it around my neck. I got pictures in the club. By the way, I asked my daughter last night. Every year this time, I get that uh, birthday card from President Clinton. Every year, what? I get the birthday a birthday card from him. My daughter opened up last night and showed it to me. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I got them on the wall at the club. If you ever come, I show them to you because. And I looked and I said, I don't know how you remember me. Do you think, does does Buddy Guy and and B.B. King, do you guys ever think that you would embrace some of the new technology or some of the new, uh, like, like, would you guys ever consider living in an apartment together for three weeks and filming a reality show, you and B.B. King, or something like that? I don't know you'd have to talk to him, but anything that affiliated what I've dedicated my life to, I'd be more than happy to do. Whatever it takes, hopefully will 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 we'll make two more people uh, learn a little more about the blues. Because you know, I meet people every day. Sometimes will look at you and tell you, "Say our blues is sad." And then, for an example, I was in New York in the sixties, and I didn't have a name like I have now. And I was checking in the hotel. And I got a ring on, say blues, and there was a couple managing the hotel. They looked at me and said, "Blues, ooh, it's sad." And I give them. Two passes to some little blues club in New York, and when I got ready to check out the next morning, both of them was crying. And uh-huh. they looked at me and said, we thought blues was sad, but you didn't play not one sad song last night. I said, <laughs> no, all blues ain't sad. Yeah, yeah. people just assume that it's just sad, but there's there's so many upbeat blues songs. You got People oh, yeah, just need to check it out. When I, when I come on stage, I don't intend for you to sit there and cry. I intend for you to clap your hands and get up and pop your fingers and shake your booty. <laughs> Are there, at 78 years old, do you still have buddy guy groupies? Are there still some that come to the club and they're... You know, I didn't, I didn't never, I didn't never accept that as, as groupies. I accept it as uh, somebody love what we doing, you know, and uh, you don't go to the football game or baseball game or boxing and, and, and look out at the crowd jumping and shouting and call them groupies. So why they call them groupies who listen to the, to the music? You know, I just look at it and say, you know, damn not everybody you meet got some kind of problem, whether they tell it or not. If they don't have it, they know somebody got a problem. And when I play my guitar, I see someone smiling and clapping their hands. I say to myself, I don't know if you got a problem, but if you had it, I made you forget it that 10 minutes I played that solo. Do you remember growing up when you were, like, hanging out with some of those guys? Like, you know, just the girls back then, like when you and B.B. King or Jimi Hendrix, just after a show, did you ever get into that party scene with those guys? Well, to be honest with you, and the, 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 the thing that I think that this started in the 60s when it was calling the hippies. And everybody was, I think they were smoking a lot of uh, 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 weed, and uh, some people was just having fun because we had the, the Vietnamese war, and a lot of people was protesting and all that, and the music was making everybody feel like, this is my way of forgetting about the, the, the situation we're in, because a lot of people didn't like it, some people liked it, some didn't, and the music was... Was was even like Marvin Gaye. He, he a lot of his songs had something to do with the, the style of living we were living back then, you know. And and I do a couple of his songs now every time I come in because I don't care who you meet, somebody got a problem. 
you know, with, with, with what's going on, and we can't do nothing about it. But you can listen to the music and hear a story that makes you say, well, I know somebody else thinking the same way I'm thinking, but it let me know through music. Wasn't it like it was such a discovery to find music back then? Now, like I said, everything's at your fingertips. And being, I think when stuff is so easy to get, it makes people not want to find it. Whereas when you were younger, to get that music was a journey. And and I think that's part of, the, of why it was such a great time back then. Like you had, you know, even like Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin. We were talking about Jimi Hendrix, all the blues guys like you and B.B. King. How do we get? Back to that kind of... I mean, I know there's a lot of guys, like the guys on your Hendrix tour, all, there's a lot of great blues players, but how do you get back to that time where just rock and blues and, 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 and all that kind of stuff was in the forefront of music? Well, first of all, back then, we didn't have none but music. You know, we didn't have... We had well, maybe three names of it. We had uh, a jazz, a country and western, then R&B. And it's in the early 50s, 60s, that's when they went to separating us, calling it all these different types of music. But if you take the big amplifiers and the special effects from Jimmy Hendrix, he would tell you I'm playing straight blues, man. But then when the technology came up and uh, he was so creative, he just kept fooling with it. You know, sometime I'd be in the studio making my uh, CD. And I, I say, let me use the bathroom. And then whatever they, they have tape, when I come out of the bathroom, they're playing it. And I looked at the guy in L.A. one day I was doing, and and, and, and I said, what's that? He said, that's what you just played. <laughs> and I, 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 I see the time at Chess Records, you know, you can punch your button out, erase something off a, 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 a take, and, and they tell me you can take it even tune you get to if you're not, not full 40 tune by punching a button, but they, you had to use a razor blade with a piece of tape to take it out that reel and reel during the chest days. You know, that's just the difference now and then. There's so many tricks that a guy like you or B.B. King knows that it, it would take a lifetime to teach a kid. Like, I was watching you play once, and you were just like, you, you were holding the guitar by the strap, and you were just like dropping it on the stage. But it was like, it sounded awesome. Like, I don't know what you were doing, but it was in it was in time. It was like, dung. Dung, dung. Oh, yeah. And like, and then, well, then, you know, yeah, go ahead. You know where I got that from, don't you? In the, in the early days, you had straps on guitar that said, you know, it's like untying your shoelace. If it come loose, you got to, you, 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 if, if, if you running, if it's come loose and, and, and loose enough, you might lose your shoe. So once I was, you know, trying to act like the late guitar slim and the guitar fell off my, shoulder when it fell off we were playing in the key that key was like wait a minute that note is still going and i dropped it and people thought i did it on paper so i said and i got the biggest hand so i said oh i better just say will that work if it ever happened to me again and i i would try anything everything i try don't work though you know sometimes yeah i play bad and I, I I don't want nobody to know it. So when I do pick it back up, I try to make up for that. You know, it's just like a baseball player. If he go to the bat and hit a home run, every time he comes to the bat, if he doesn't hit several home runs, everybody look for him to do it. You know, so the music is kind of similar the same way. I remember I was in Brazil when uh, Mike Tyson was knocking everybody out in the first round, and the word was down there, I don't want to go see him because it's, 
you know, the, the, the fight's over by the time I get there. Joe Lewis, they used to say that. You know, I, he don't give you enough of what you paid for. You know, you go in there, you better hurry up because his opponent be knocked out before yeah. you sit down. That's like, do you ever watch UFC, buddy? Like, there's a, a woman named Ronda Rousey. She finishes everyone in, like, 30 seconds. She, like, breaks their arms. Have you have you watched that, UFC? No, no, I'm not aware of that. You should watch it. She's like the female Mike Tyson. She she goes in there, and she'll flip a girl over and pretty much break her arm in, like, 30 seconds. It, it, she, she's the modern-day Mike Tyson. Um, a, couple, right. a, a couple more of these before I let you go. Do you miss that beautiful hair that you used to have? That long, uh, those long locks of hair, right? Do, do you yeah, mi- yeah. You know, I do, but you know, it's more comfortable now. You know, I'm like, I was me and BB was talking about that. You know, I I don't know if I would still have it or not because I was getting kind of gray. And my sister, the oldest sister, bless her soul, she'll be on my birthday. She's eighty eight. And uh, she looked at me one day and said, boy, cut that, cut that white beard off because I was growing a beard. But what happened, me and B.B. was talking in Vegas one day, and he looked at us and he said, you cut your hair off? He said, yeah, I cut mine off because it was falling out anyway, and I just helped it. <laughs> Do you wish that you would have back then just shaved your head? Because like you said, it's probably much easier now, right? Uh, yeah, it, that wasn't easy to do when you when we had to have it hair done, you know, and I didn't never learn how to do it myself. And uh, you'd have to go sit in this beauty shop for two and a half or three hours. I wasn't happy with that. But, uh, you know, I think the musicians was the first one doing that hair like that before the regular people started walking on the street with all these different hairstyles. And uh, that's what they was doing. And, and, and the, uh, the R&B players, uh, all of them didn't do it. Ray Charles didn't do it, but most of them had that hair curl like black people was doing back then. As soon as you press by, <laughs> you need to go back and have it done again. <laughs> and I didn't have, you know, I didn't have patience to do that, but I had to keep up with these guys who were playing, and that was it. You used to have to change clothes sometimes, three times a night, and you couldn't afford it. <laughs> you know, the clothes, you know, you get bringing wet, but most of the blues joint didn't have no air conditioning. And you could take your shirt off when you finish the show and wring water out of it, you know. And and that means you got to go to the cleaner and know somebody at and impress it so it'll be looking decent for the next night. That must have been funny to go into a beauty salon and you see Buddy Guy sitting there with a uh, in one of those, what's that thing called, what? the uh, over your head? Well, they... no, no, you you know, they was doing it in the men's barbershop, too. The men were doing it. You oh, didn't wow. have to go to the late, latest beauty shop. You could go either one and get it done, but at first, we was that, uh, kind of feeling kind of not go to the, the beauty shop because all the barbershops were doing up, especially all the black barbershops. <laughs> they know how to do that, too. That's awesome. Last, last, last thing, last time I talked to you, you were telling me that you were a great cook. So, like, what do you have on tap for today? What are you making? Uh, I don't think I'm going to make anything today. My sister and them coming up. You know, let me give you an example. Uh, you know the great jazz guitarist, George Benson? Him and I are best friends, man. We started playing. They used to take me to Europe in the 60s. And mix, you know, when you go to Europe, they don't separate us like they do here. They call it jazz and blues concerts. And we would go over there sometime twice a year. And uh, the late Bonnie Castle, Jim Hall, all those great jazz. Sarah Vaughn, uh, uh, Count Basie, uh, all those guys, man, they would put us together. And once I was over there, and I was the only blues cat on the show. And I'm like saying, Man, I don't know what to play out there. And they would look at me and say, man, that stuff you playing is, is getting bigger and bigger. We're trying to learn it, you know. But uh, 
you know, I just, you know, I, I don't know. I, I try to learn a lot of jazz. I get one or two licks, but I, 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 I just can't get that blues out the back of my head, man. Because every time I think about, you know, Fred McDowell, Sunhouse, and Muddy there, man, I, I learned so much from them till that conversation which we was talking about earlier when we used to say, if I go before you do, don't let the blues die. That's the last thing Muddy Waters told me, and I didn't know how ill he was. I said, I heard you sick. I'm coming out to your house. And he said, no, I'm doing fine. Let's keep the damn blues alive. <laughs> That's awesome. And that just shows you how much he loved the blues. Oh, yes, yes. We lived in, we lived our life, and I guess, you know, you dedicate your whole life to it, man, especially if you love what you're doing. I was telling my children and some of the people working at my club last night, do you know if you're working on a job and love it, the eight hours be gone before you know it? But if you was picking cotton like I was in Louisiana, that sun don't look like it ever moved from midday. So you just, my mom and dad worked from sun up to sundown until they passed away. And still didn't have nothing. That's right. And, and I always say you have to find your light at the end of the tunnel. Like, there has to always be something. Like, for me, I love doing radio. So anytime I, I'll... I do other things. You're just doing it to, to get back to that thing that you love. And, yes. and you know, I, I always say you're better off chasing your dream and doing what you want to do. Or you're like you said, you're just going to be miserable your whole life. And you'd rather, you know, like you said, people at your club, like maybe you're not making a ton of money, but if you're, if you love what you're doing, that's what it's all about. Well, clubs don't make a ton of money anymore. You can't sell whiskey like you used to do due to the fact that that DUI and then smoking. But we used to have so many clubs in Chicago, I didn't get to stand to see them all. And it's all over the world now. The blues clubs are gone. And people are thanking me for having this in Chicago now because, you know, this week I come in here from Montana and the club is packed every night. And I'm like saying, why are all these people coming for me? And, I, and they, if they catch me sitting there, they'll come up and want to take a photograph. And they'll say, "Well, look, I'm from New Zealand. I'm from Brazil. I got uh, uh, I can't I can't count, but I think it's like 35 people that I already called from Brazil coming up for my birthday party." Oh wow! Yeah. Well, you you are a living legend, a true inspiration, and I think that you're what you do every night is what I mean. You're you're. You're in better shape than a lot of people who are 40 years old. You're moving around on stage. And, and I think anyone who, and you're almost, you're going to be 78 on Wednesday. And, you know, I think, isn't that the key, buddy, for people when they get older? Just keep moving, stay active, keep doing what you love doing. And then, you know, you're, when, when you, the, the minute you sit down all day and don't move, that's when older people have all these problems and, you know, and they don't live, uh, you know, a full life the way you do. Well, you know, you know what time I get up every morning, don't you? Isn't didn't you say it was like five or six o'clock or something? No, before that, I was up at four thirty this morning drinking my coffee, and I stayed at the club till one. But now, about one o'clock today, I'll go back between one and two and sleep till about five or six. And it's been like that ever since I came to Chicago. I split it in half. But back to that stage thing, I just have so much joy watching people enjoy. Listen to music, because most of the time, somebody's angry. And when you play music, like I said earlier, I think I'm like saying, thank God I made you forget about that problem you had with your job or with your family or losing a loved one or something like that. At least I made you forget it for 10 or 15 minutes while I was playing. 
And I feel like I done got, I'm sitting on top of the world and done made a million dollars if I make somebody happy. And I do talk to people sometimes about that. And they tell me, man, you know, thank you. Because you, you made me forget about whatever problem he had, at least that moment. We need more people like you because you, you're doing, like, God's work. Like, you are doing, you are the entertainment for people. Like you said, to escape a lot of people live horrible lives. They 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 go to a job they hate. They sit in two hours of traffic, and if they could go to Buddy Guys Legends for two hours on a Saturday, you know that that could make up for you know a whole week of crap. So you guys really are doing some amazing things over there. It's seven hundred South Wabash. His seventy eighth birthday party Wednesday, July thirtieth, uh, starts at five p.m. He's also at Ravinia on Tuesday, August nineteenth, and then back on the uh, Experience Hendrix tour from uh, late September to early October, and you can get everything at BuddyGuy.com. And, uh, Buddy, it's so much fun to talk to you, and uh, I hope to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you very much. You know, whenever you feel this, contact Anna, and I'll be more than happy to talk about it, man, because, you, you know, when, 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 if you talk and then you get two people that say, well, I didn't know that, that's two more people might buy two more of my albums. They'll go look for it because they haven't heard it on the radio, you know. Yeah. And let me say this before we go. You know, I was in my club maybe a year or so ago, and there was a girl every Monday in my house. My club is open. Uh, the mic is open. If you come in and sign, you get called to the stage if you can play a thing. So this girl went up there, and she was emceeing the show. And when she said what she wanted to say and, 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 and didn't nobody clap her hands, she come off and came straight to me and said, these people suck. I said, what happened? She said, did you see I went up there and did nobody clap their hand? I said, girl, let me tell you something. I said, when I was playing my guitar and did nobody clap their hand, when I finished, I went home and said, buddy, something you didn't do to make them clap their hand. You got to do something to make them, make them happy. And what, what did you have to do to make them happy? What, what do you think she learned to, to do? You, you, you got to say, you know, you, whatever you do, you got to say, they look at you. If you tell somebody you love them, you can lie. But if you show them, you can't. Well, buddy, like it's it's so much fun talking to you, living legend, and uh, your true inspiration. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. Go to buddyguy.com. Thanks again, buddy. Thank you. Have a great day, and stop in anytime you want. You're always welcome. Thank you so much, man. All right.